And the only right response is thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's thank him in prayer, shall we? Father, uh, we're just caught up in the splendor and amazing description of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our hearts are full and overflowing with thanksgiving for your grace to us. Surely we did not deserve the least of your favor, but how you have graced us in Christ. And so I pray, Father, this morning, on this Christmas Sunday, that our hearts might welcome and receive the promise of Christmas, God with us. And may you enable us to take in afresh a renewed commitment to the gift of that relationship that we can enjoy through Christ. Oh, Father, may we not miss out on anything that you have for us. May we not allow anything in our lives that would produce a barrier or obstacle to the glorious relationship that you have made possible through the gift of Jesus Christ. So, Father, may this continue to be a tribute, this whole service, a tribute to, to the glory of your grace. Because we know, Lord, that we were brought into your family to be to the praise of your glorious grace. And may we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to describe the emotional state of humanity as you see it right now and you could only use two words what might that be I'll tell you what it is for me two words alone and afraid as I survey the landscape of the days we live in, time we're in. I would generalizing, of course, but I would put it all into those two words. Just see people who are alone and afraid. And it's, it's sort of a um, contrast to the promise that we've all been made in this technological era that we live in whereby contact is so easy but maybe that's the problem I think it is I mean perhaps there's never been a a time society wise that we would describe as lonelier than right now young people have a thousand or two thousand Facebook friends and all the reports that come in is they are alone and depressed, discouraged. I mean, you think about it when back in the day before all of this instantaneous contact, to be in someone's presence, you had to go and be with them. And we have a whole new global healing strategy that recommends that we stay as far away from each other as we can. 
that's supposed to make us better. So we're to tank our mental health in favor of our physical health and, and neither are working. Because we were made for intimacy. We were made for nearness. We were made for contact. We're social creatures. And there's a reason for that. Because our God is a social God. Our God is a relational God. Our God is a contact God. And that's the glory of Christmas, is it's spelled out for us very, very clearly who God is. God intends to be God with us. And so I want to talk to you about the sweeping glory of an ultimate social God today as we begin our Christmas series on the Christmas promises, the promise of God with us. It's the intention of creation, the incarnation of Christmas. It's what God intends for us. I, I love, there's a couple of verses in 2 Timothy that I just absolutely love, and I want to sort of introduce them to you as we move through this idea I want to share with you today. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing, not Facebook, but the actual appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't that packed with good stuff? A couple of great verses. The intention, what is this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before even time? The intention of this grace is gloriously pictured by the bookends of Scripture. At the front end of Scripture, in Genesis, we have God making contact with creation, God with us. At the end of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, we have God dwelling with people. This book ends the whole intention of God's grace, that God might be with us. This is his heart. This is who he is. And humans have worked hard at messing that up ever since we were created. There's a really brilliant woman named Mary Eberstadt. She is a senior research fellow at the Faith and Reason Institute. I'm sure the woke folk are going to try and change that title soon. They won't want her to be called a fellow. But so far, she's still called a fellow of the Faith and Reason Institute. And she writes this. Um, decades ago, some of the wisdom writers were stating that we were moving into an era that had forgotten God. The newer sages are writing that we are now a humanity at war with God. And she writes under this idea. Famous experiments on animals demonstrate that artificial isolation from their own kind produces dysfunction. We need to understand that humanity is running an analogous experiment on itself. The revolution ushered in facts of life that had never before existed on the scale seen today. 
abortion, fatherlessness, divorce, single parenthood, childlessness, the imploding of the nuclear family, the shrinking extended family. All these phenomenon are acts of human subtraction. Every one of them has the effect of reducing the number of people to whom we belong and whom we can call our own. Outside consciously religious communities, which now amount to a counterculture, generational reality for most people can be summarized in one word, fewer. Fewer brothers, fewer sisters, fewer cousins, fewer children, fewer grandchildren, fewer people to play ball with, fewer people to talk to, fewer people to learn from, fewer people to celebrate a birth, fewer people to visit one's deathbed in a way that is not generally acknowledged, the sexual revolution has produced a relationship deficit. And since we are social creatures and define ourselves relationally, this shortage means that we face an identity deficit. And into that reality, the promise of Christmas shines brightly. A God with us. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 1? I want to read again, rehearse again the Christmas story of a relational God reaching out to people. It begins this way in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So... Does God feel far away from you today? Or does he feel very near? The answer should be yes. He feels both far and near. Because our God is both a transcendent God, occupying different space than us, which is why we can be filled with the Spirit and not explode. And also an imminent God, a God very near, 
a God with us. In Isaiah 57, 15, we get both of these concepts laid out for us. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and a holy place, but I also live with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, both there, a transcendent God, high and holy place, and yet a God who lives with the contrite and those who are lowly in spirit. We have a God who is both far and near, a God who is over us and a God who is with us, a God who is out there and a God who is in here. And as we keep those realities in healthy balance, we have a healthy fear of God, the transcendent God, high and holy and lifted up and above us and a God very near who lives in us, we love him and he loves us. In Jeremiah 31 verse 35, it tells us there that God commands the whole universe He's in charge of everything. God is over all things, commander of the universe that he has created. In Psalm 147, verse 4, it tells us there that God names all of the stars. But in Luke 12, verse 7, it tells us there that God numbers the hairs on our head. A God who commands and controls the whole universe, and yet he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. I used to have more. Does anyone know the number of the hairs on their own head? Anybody want to put their hand up and say, yes, I've counted every hair on my head. (laughs) But in reality, in reality, God loves us and knows us that well and cares about us that much that he knows the very hairs on our head. Today, I want to encourage your hearts with the promise of his nearness, a transcendent God who wants to be near us. And this is our joy, a God with us. Bob Coughlin of Sovereign Grace Ministries writes this, we carry the joy of unspeakably good news. I love that description. That's that's who we are as ambassadors of Christ. We we have the joy of, of, of carrying unspeakably good news. So today I want to track the promise of the nearness of God throughout the scriptures. I want to start at the beginning, go to the very end. Sounds like a long process, doesn't it? I'm going to have three very three touch points at the front of the Bible, sort of in the middle of the Bible and at the very end of the Bible. And the same story is shared there. God with us. The purpose of God for us is that we would be with him. And it's, 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 we're showered with it. And, and I hope the truth this morning of the nearness of God heals your heart if it's broken today. I hope it lifts up your head if you're feeling downcast I hope that this sermon brings joy to your next steps in life. That it chases away any gloominess that's going on in your heart or any aloneness or loneliness. Because this truly is a glorious truth. 
that God would want to be with us. Nearness, companionship, being with us is how it was meant to be. If we go to the very front of the book in Genesis chapter 3, there's a statement and description there that's often eclipsed by the sadness of Genesis 3. We sort of spend a lot of time in Genesis 3 looking at the fall of man and sin and all of that, and we actually miss something that's pretty glorious, a description that's quite amazing. It's the presence of God with us. It's verse 8 of Genesis 3. We sort of ho-hum our way by it sometimes, but I don't want to this morning. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it goes on to say they hid themselves. Would you just stop there for a second? The implication here is there was a daily experience of the first humans, Adam and Eve, having a daily staff meeting as vice regents of the world with their creator, God. They would go on a stroll with God. It says in the cool or the wind or breeze part of the day. It's not that, God, not that the climate mattered to God, but their comfort mattered to him. I have to think, you know, as it could be the sound, or it can be, that word could be voice of God. I think about hearing the voice of God. They probably heard him pick up a little lamb, tuck it under his arm, and then speak to Mr. Lion over there. Come on over. Come over here. I want you to see this lamb. A lion would nuzzle its big furry mane against the creator God. And he'd talk to them. He'd put the lamb down. The lion would go on with its, whatever it was doing, and I'd think he'd scoop his hands down and gather a gang of brand new rabbits, pick them up and tell the mother rabbit how proud he was that that she was doing what he'd asked her to do, be fruitful and multiply. She's so proud. Adam and Eve would wonder, is he ever going to get to us? You think that's fanciful? I don't. I think that's 100% the way it was. I mean, after all, Adam and Eve were not shocked by a talking serpent, were they? You know, there's a a whale called the 52 Hertz whale. Anybody ever heard of that? It's called the 52 Hertz whale. It's considered the loneliest creature in the world. And there's a reason for that, because... 52 hertz is the sound cycle that the whale makes. That's why it's named that. Mike up there, he knows about it. Mike knows everything. It's like Solomon. He just doesn't have a lot of wives. 
The reason it's lonely is because all the other whales in the sea make noise at around the 20 hertz level. Nothing can pick up the sound of this 52 hertz whale. It's out there by itself. Now, why do you suppose that whale has a communication capacity that no one else can hear? There is someone who can hear that whale, can communicate to that whale. It's Creator God. There's a really cool description in Isaiah 11 of a messianic expectations. It's Isaiah 11:6. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our God is a God who wants to be with us. I think my mom's favorite hymn, which a lot of people have kind of disparaged over the years because nobody thinks it speaks reality. I think it does. It's that old hymn, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and all the theological brain heads say, oh, that's, what's that? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. That's what he meant to do with us. We ruined it. He came dissatisfied with God. He gave everything. Adam and Eve were dissatisfied and turned to idols. And they ran and hid, it says in the text. They were afraid. You know what the idolatry marker identity is? Fear. Rejecting God, rejecting intimacy with God, choosing idols, dissatisfied with God. Sin leads to alienation, pain, sorrow, separation from God, all of that. Paradise lost, ruined. God throws them out of the garden and banishes them and puts up a guard so that they can't get back in, so that they can't go to the tree of life and live forever in this damaged state. And God determined to pursue man 
It says in Leviticus 26, 3 and 11 to 12, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34, and the obedient. God made a way and makes a way. The presence of God with us. But then there's the promise of God with us. The presence of God with us that we chased away. And now God in his grace promises us God with us. Before he banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he promised them a Savior. Genesis 3.15, to restore God with us. That indescribable, inexpressible gift promised to us. And take heart. Take heart, all of you, because God does his best work when all seems lost on purpose. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And so the promise of God with us. There's a stunning prophecy which we've already sung about and we've spoken about in Isaiah verse chapter 7. Let me set the context for you very quickly. Israel was in trouble. They had gone rogue. Judah was fast behind them. And King Ahaz was being warned by God King Ahaz, king of Judah, was being warned by God to trust him, to trust in God. He was looking to align himself with with other allies and armies and all of that. And God was saying, trust me. And in Isaiah 7 verse 4, God says to, to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Believe me, trust me, not the material solutions that you are proposing. And I want to I drive this message into us today. It's so current. God stands before us saying, trust me, believe me, I will look after you. And in Isaiah 7, verse 9, it says, If you will not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Or another translation, If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. And what did Ahaz do? God says to him, Ask me, go ahead, ask me for a sign. A sign that you can believe me, that you can trust me. He says, no, I'm not asking you for a sign. I don't want to put the Lord to the test. He had, that wasn't it at all. He wanted to have God's permission to trust in things that he could see and presumptuously control. Because that's the way we are. God, let me trust in stuff I can see. Let me trust in stuff I can touch and hold. Let me trust in stuff that I can control. That's what we want. And God says, listen, then I'll give you a sign myself. And this is the sign. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Ahaz, it's the material armies that you're choosing or God with you. Which are you going to choose? And Ahaz takes the material. And Israel goes into exile shortly thereafter to the the Assyrians to be assimilated and never 
to return from that. And a century and a half later, Judah goes into exile to Babylon. But in this amazing sign promise, God graciously establishes for us his promise that a child will be born. And he will be great. And he will come to save his people. But the question that we have is how did this come about? The surprise of Christmas is not that God's prophecy is fulfilled. The surprise for us is how it's fulfilled. What? A transcendent God? A holy, awesome God? would come to live among us, to be one of us. John, in his gospel, is taken aback by it and says he became flesh and dwelt among us. The transcendent God actually became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us, which means he explained God to us. God came to be with us. Paradise promised. That's why Jesus on the cross to the thief said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Matthew's genealogy emphasizes by how it describes the generations. It emphasizes the when all seems lost, then God shows up. It wasn't until after the exiles of, of Israel and Judah that the child was born. To demonstrate the futility of exile and the futility of trusting in the the strength of an army or the size of your army or the number of horses that you have. And here this child comes to explain God to the very God himself, the promise of Emmanuel. The mystery of Jesus' identity is resolved for us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. With us. The imminent God. We don't search for him. He searched for us. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. We don't press into him. He pressed into us. We take hold of the one who took hold of us first, who holds on to us for dear life. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Not only did Jesus come to be with us, but get this. Christ's incarnational sinlessness and sacrifice are the only grounds for our justification before God. But watch what this is all about. So Jesus comes and lives a perfect, obedient life. And upon our salvation, God grants to our account, our life account, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when that happens? This place 
becomes a place that Jesus can live in. That's why in, in, in Acts, well, in John, but in Acts as well, Acts 2, 38 and 39, listen, here's, here's what was, was stated by Peter. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. God now in you. There's no more, there's nothing more intimate than that. God has now moved into our lives and can move into our, our holy transcendent God can move into our lives because we are now perfectly righteous in Christ. God can dwell in, in our, our lives. That's what John with great enthusiasm Reporting on what Jesus said, writes this, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, Jesus says, and show myself to him. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. No more fear. No more alone. The great glorious promise of Emmanuel Christmas is the joy of Jesus moved into our lives to chase away all fear and Jesus has moved in so that we're not alone ever. From idols to intimacy, God in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So where does all this go? Well, it started with the presence of God with us, went to the promise of God with us, and third, it's the promise of us with God. I have stood at the graveside of more loss of life than I ever could have imagined that I would ever do. But I must say that when I stand at the graveside of a brother or sister in Christ, while my heart is heavy and filled with sorrow, it's also full of joy Because in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's this phrase, verse 17, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Like Jesus who assured the thief that day, today you will be with me in paradise. The God who made us, the God who walked among us in the garden, the God who made a promise because he's determined to be with us, to come and be with us, the God who has moved into our heart in the Holy Spirit is the same God who promises us that when we die, we will be with the Lord forever.
on my dad's gravestone. We had engraved on that stone rejoicing with the Lord forever. So we shall always be with the Lord, the promise of us with God. If the Lord is with you, you are always and forever with the Lord. That's his promise. And when we get to the very back of the book, the very last chapter, Revelation 22, you can't get further back than that. This is how it all sorts itself out under the supervision of our glorious and gracious God. In Revelation 22, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Do you see, beloved, what this is? Do you see the promise here that's being made? To those who have washed their robes, we learn in Revelation 7, 4, that that's referring to those who've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, whose garments are now spotless because of Christ, because of what Christ has done for us. Our garments are white as snow for those who have washed their garments. Wash their robes. They have the right to the tree of life and access through the gates into the city. What the banishment of mankind from the Garden of Eden is over. God, who walks with us and talks with us and tells us he is, we are his own, is brought full circle for us because of Jesus Christ and the promise of Christmas and the work of Calvary to die for our sins and the promise for us is to be, is to be allowed in. The gates are wide open. The angel that was preventing the access to the garden is now taken away and we're, our access is there and, and we are blessed, given eternity to experience the marvel of Jesus Christ and who he is, the glory of his grace. God who starts among us and we insist on kicking him out of our lives and then he comes to dwell among us and dwells in us, ultimately we will be with him. This is the promise of Christmas. And it will take forever, absolutely forever, for us to experience and praise the glories of His grace. And it's for that reason we were made, to be with God and to praise Him forever. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. We are saved to the praise of his glorious grace. Christ the Lord. Praise his name forever. His power and glory. We evermore proclaim. It will require forever to experience and to praise the glories of his grace. Oh, beloved. Don't let anybody take away from you 
the glorious truth of God with us, the glorious reality of Christmas. We are not alone and we are not afraid and we will not allow the culture around us that is afraid and alone to steal our joy that Christ paid for that we might have every day of our lives. So live it to the fullest, to the praise and honor of the glory of God. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus Christ, this indescribable gift given to us on that holy night so long ago. May we praise you and may we experience the fullness of the joy of Christ, God with us, God in us, us with God forevermore. For Jesus' sake, amen. And that Christ, at the very end of the book, makes a final promise to us. That Christ, determined to dwell with us, makes this final promise to us. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the benediction is this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen and amen. God bless you.